So let's be in sec we're going to be in Second Peter two seventeen through twenty two. Let's read that this morning. Uh, so again, Peter is talking about these false teachers, right? That are going to come in. That's the whole chapter. Is so he always refers back with with um, he doesn't specifically say these false teachers, right? But he's referring back to Second Peter two, uh, the beginning of the chapter when he talks about the false teachers and the false prophets. Uh, so these false teachers are waterless springs and mists driven by a storm. For the gloom of utter darkness has been res uh, for them the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved. For speaking loud boasts of folly, they are enticed by sensual passions of the flesh. Uh, they entice by sensual passions of the flesh those who are barely escaping from those who live in error. They promise them freedom, but they themselves are slaves to corruption. For to whatever for whatever overcomes a person, to that he is enslaved. Uh, we keep reading. For if, after having escaped the defilements of the world through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them, in them what? In the defilements of the world, right? They are again entangled in them and overcome. The last state has become worse for them than the first. For it would have been better for them to have never known the way of righteousness than after knowing it to turn back from the holy commandment delivered to them. What the true proverb says has happened to them. The dog returns to its own vomit and the sow, so, sow, sow, after washing herself returns to wallow in the mire. Uh, so, couple of things that stand out about this text. Again, one, remember, he's talking about the false prophets who are going to bring in these. Uh, and, and if you go back to, to, we don't have it on the screen, uh, but if you go back to 2 Peter 2, 1 and 2, actually, maybe I can put it back on the screen. Uh, if you go all the way to 2 Peter 2, 1 and 2, oh, I can put it on the screen. Uh, these will bring in destructive heresies, secretly bringing in destructive heresies, and many will follow their sensuality. The warning in the chapter, in 2 Peter chapter 2, is you just go through the text, and we can just go through it. If you have your Bible, you can just go through it. The point is, not necessarily that they're saying wrong stuff, that's bad, obviously, but the way that they are enticing or luring away other people who otherwise are well-intentioned, right? The false prophets, the false teachers obviously have bad intentions. Uh, they are destructive. They are selfish. And we, remember, we, we put up that list. I'll put that list up again. We put up that list of the qualities of false teachers. Obviously, these people are not well-intentioned people. And yet, the, the primary difficulty is they draw away or they entice or they deceive or they trick or they, they corrupt people who are well-intentioned, who are trying to serve God to the best of their abilities, who genuinely want to please God. It is they who are distracted or who are drawn away right? That's this point in the second chapter of, of the book, that, that these people are, are driving good, earnest Christians to falsehood. And, and that's part of what he's saying in this, these verses, right? Is these are, uh, put it back up on the screen so I don't paraphrase it here. Uh, speaking loud boasts of folly, they entice by sensual passions of the flesh those who are barely escaping from those who live in error. So this idea that those who are barely escaping, this is particularly dangerous for the most vulnerable Christians. And when I say most vulnerable, I mean spiritually vulnerable. 
So we're thinking maybe new Christians. So because they're enticing those who are barely escaping, as opposed to those who are really escaping, the mature Christians, but enticing the immature Christian, the young Christian, uh, the doubting Christian, the Christian who is suffering, the Christian who maybe is under an intense weight of physical difficulty and so is, is starting to question their faith, right? These are the people that are in danger of being enticed or lure, lured away by these false teachers. A couple of things that stand out about that. Those of us who then are mature, who maybe have a stronger faith or, or more well-grounded in Scripture, perhaps, a lot of difficulty of this comes in ignorance if, if you just don't know the Bible well. And if you're a new Christian, that there's no way you could, right? We understand that. But it, the impetus then is on those of us who do know the Bible well, who know what God wants, who are strong in our faith, our responsibility is to protect the weak, right? The weaker in faith. So it is our job to be on the lookout for these false teachers who are enticing the barely escaping, enticing the spiritually weak. For whatever overcomes a person to that, he is enslaved. Now what they offer is freedom. And, and you see this, right? A lot in, in, in a lot of false teaching. The promise of freedom, freedom from what? Freedom from God's regulations, freedoms from freedom from guilt. Yeah, you don't have to feel bad about the way you're living. Freedom from whatever you could put in there. They offer freedom, but what? They are slaves to, they're not free. They're slaves to corruption. Things that are contrary to God's will, they are slaves to that. Whatever overcomes a person to that, he is enslaved. So if you're not living according to God's will, you're enslaved to the other thing, which is, of course, sin, right? Now, I've, I've wondered about this text in 2 Peter 2.17 before. For if after they have escaped the defilements of the world, they are again entangled, right? So this is talking about those who are Christians who then fall away and are not Christians anymore, right? I, I kind of wonder, is he talking about the false teachers here? Or is he talking about those who are barely escaping, those who are being enticed? I'm not sure the false teachers ever were, right, doing what God wants. And when we when we use the phrase, the phrase that Peter uses, if have after having escaped the defilements of the world, I'm not sure false teachers were ever in that category. Did they ever escape the defilements of the world? Did they ever have the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? Right? Did they ever know the way of righteousness? I'm not sure he's talking about them so much as he's talking about those who would be enticed away from the truth by the false teachers, those who are barely escaping, those who are spiritually vulnerable and weak. I think he might be talking about them. And the difficulty is he doesn't use proper nouns. He uses, he uses I think it's pronouns. I'm not really an English person. But after they have escaped, probably those who the teachers are lying to, if they are, if the, after they have escaped, they are again entangled and overcome, the last state has become worse for them than the first. Now, it certainly applied to the false teacher if the false teacher had once been doing the right thing, right? If the false teacher had once been teaching correct things and once been, once been, uh, doing righteous things and then they start teaching the bad stuff and then they start doing the corrupting things again. Well, yeah, this would apply to them too. But really the danger again is for those of us who would be allured away or enticed by the false teaching. That's the warning, right? And what's the point? The last state has become worse than the first. It would have been better for them to never have known the way of righteousness than after knowing it to turn back from the holy commandment delivered to them. If you're a Christian, if you have, have and, and we could look at the, the language again. If you're a Christian, you have escaped the defilements of the world. You have knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. 
you have known the way of righteousness, right? You have received the holy commandment. Okay, all of those things apply to Christians, to people who are saved, right? So his point is, if you are in that condition and then you go follow the false teaching and stop doing what God wants, what's the end result? The end result is worse than before you were a Christian in the first place. Now, I want to read a couple of scriptures uh, that are connected to this idea. First, let's read Ezekiel 18, 23 through 24. Ezekiel 18, 23 through 24. Have I any pleasure in the death of the wicked, declares the Lord, and not rather that he should turn away, uh, turn from his way and live? When a righteous person turns away from righteousness and does injustice and does the same abominations that the wicked person does, shall he live. None of the righteous deeds that he has done shall be remembered. For the treachery of which he is guilty and the sin he has committed for them, he shall die. The, the, the ter eternal struggle of the righteous and the wicked. God wants, and Peter's going to say this. This is why this text is so apt. He's going to say this in the next text, next section of the text. God wants the wicked to be saved. But he wants those who are righteous to keep doing the righteous things. If they don't keep doing the righteous things, then what? Then he shall die for his sins. And now, of course, in Ezekiel, he probably is literally saying they'll die. But of course, for us, as we think about this application in the New Testament, uh, that's a second death, the spiritual second death, right? The eternal separation from God is, I think, what's what we need to really be thinking about. So when we think about the danger of the false teacher, the danger is not just for the false teacher, right? Well, we know the false teacher is going to be destroyed. And how many times in 2 Peter 2 did the false teacher say, or did Peter say of the false teacher that they're going to be destroyed or lost or condemned? They're going to be, well, Peter said it in, he said it in this text, for them the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved, right? So that we know that's the end result for the false teachers. But those who would be, deceived and led astray by the false teacher, it's going to be worse for them too. That's why false teachers are so horrible. Because they're not just condemning themselves, but they're condemning all those who follow after them. Which again, the point is so important. That is why the, the onus is on those of us who are spiritually mature, who have a, an extensive knowledge of scripture, to be on the lookout for these people. To be alert and aware and, and watchful for false teaching because we're the ones who can detect it and, and do something about it, right? Uh, we can read in one more passage I want to read, Luke 12, 47 through 48. And that servant who knew his master's will but did not get ready or act according to his will will receive a, a severe beating, but the one who did not know... And did, what, and, uh, and did what deserved a beating will receive a light beating. Everyone to whom much was given of him, much will be required. And from him who was entrusted much, they will demand the more. Two ways this text applies. One, those of us who have the, the spiritual maturity, if we do not do anything with that, then what? I think God's going to hold us accountable for that. If we're not looking out for false teachers and protecting, again, protecting the weaker members of the congregation. We're not talking weaker physically, although it often happens that way. But if we are not looking out for the souls of our fellow Christians and making sure that they are not lured away or enticed by false teaching, I think God's going to view that unfavorably and, and require some reckoning for that. I don't know the extent to which, and it, there's a little bit of a complication in there, how God's going to reconcile all that. Fortunately, I don't have to know all that. 
But it is something that I think God treats very seriously when we just allow people to be lured away by false teaching and we don't even do anything to stop it and we don't try to talk to them and we don't try to help them and we don't try to teach them and we're just like, well, I guess they're going the other way now. Second thing, and, and this text really drives home the point, and we've talked about this in, did we talk about this in Romans maybe? Of course, the idea that once you're saved, you can still be lost, right? A lot of these texts talk about a lot of the things that we've read in these today, Luke and, and Ezekiel and Peter, that's one of the main points. Even if you've escaped the defilements of the world, you can still be entangled in them again. And the last state is worse than the first. It's It would have been better. And what does that mean exactly? Because you think lost is lost. Hell is hell. I don't exactly know how that all will play out. But again, what does Jesus say? The one who did not know will receive a light beating. The one who did know will receive a severe beating. So even Jesus says something to the same effect of what Peter does, that being a fallen away Christian is in some way worse than being somebody who was never a Christian. And again, I don't exactly know how that is going to practically play out, but the warning is there in scripture multiple times. So we need to be again on the lookout and be aware and be alert, especially those of us who are spiritually mature. We have to be on the lookout for false teaching and, and not just as it plays out practically in our lives, not just let weaker Christians wander away and do nothing about it. Now, at the end of the day, we can't control people, obviously, but the Ezekiel 18 is passages, particularly after when he talks about the watchman and what does God say to Ezekiel? If you say something and they still do the wrong thing, I'm not going to blame you for that, Ezekiel. But if you don't say anything and Israel goes and does the wrong thing and is lost, then I'm going to blame you. For those of us who are, especially those of us who are in positions of authority at the congregation, we cannot just sit by and let people wander away from the truth. We have to do something or say something or help people in some way. If we just sit by and let not, and do nothing and, let, and let, let it go without any sort of intervention, I think God's going to require that of us. And it's something that we need to be very careful about. Not to mention the fact, and this is thinking about it from a selfish perspective, not to mention the fact that if we're living under the law of love, as we talked about in Romans, we should want to do that anyway because we want people to be saved, right? It's not just about what consequence I'm going to receive, but if I really am thinking about the lost, I should want people to have a relationship with God because I don't want them to be lost. I should do it for their sake ultimately too. Let's end in a prayer and then I will conclude with some announcements and then we will wrap it up. God, we thank you for another day that you've given us to love one another and to love you. We thank you for the blessing of life. We know that some have lost it recently. Many have. We ask that you please be with the families of those who have died recently, that you would comfort them and give them peace. God, be with those who are nearing the end. As several people are in that stage in our congregation. Please be with Elmer and with uh, Ronnie and Please bless them and give them strength and be with Karen. We know that sometimes we know that all of us will eventually reach that point. Help us to be an encouragement to those around us. Help us to stay firm to the end, to keep having the faithful heart 
to keep walking the narrow way so that we can see you when we do eventually pass. We love you. We thank you for your son and his sacrifice. We thank you for the blessings that you give us. In Jesus' name, amen.